0: Oh, I got a boil in my thigh. <laughs> You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor.
1: Good evening and welcome to Living Writers Owing to Technical Difficulties. uh, The uh, advertised interview with Celeste Ng cannot be aired this evening. We'll do our best to bring it to you at a later date uh, in its place. Please enjoy this interview with writer Jim Ottaviani, recorded this past January.
2: living writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor I'm T Hetzel happy happy new year everybody Um, and today I'm so pleased to have Jim Otaviani here in the studio with me Jim welcome hi thank you it's great to see you thanks for coming over from um, the deep blue Uh,
1: (laughs) yeah deep blue doesn't actually exist in a real place but but the office is over in the Shapiro Uh uh, library Okay, because it's all—it's
2: very mysterious, which I think is a, a perfect um, day occupation
1: for you. Is, it, is that good, to, be, to have a mysterious day op- I, occupation? It's true. When
2: I was looking you up, I, I loved how you said something like your interests were deep blue, deep blue, and deep blue sort of on your umish page.
1: Yeah, it used to be a little bit more eclectic, uh, wide-ranging when I was an engineering librarian. Then it was engineering... Nuclear engineering, mechanical engineering, industrial op- r- industrial and operations engineering. But now it's just deep
2: blue. Wow. And you also were, um, di- weren't you the director also of the AAEL for a while? No, here, I wasn't or- the director. I was okay. the head of reference. Though, head so- of reference. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very, th- the head of of something <laughs> very very <laughs> reference um yeah, very important. Yes. And 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 Jim, you're here. We've got three of your many books um here on the table. Uh your latest Primates: The Fearless Science of Jane Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and Baruti Galdikas. Galdikas. Yeah. Galdikas. I think that's right. Baruti Galdikas. Well, you've been oh, you've actually written a a prior s- story about her, so I'm sure you know the pronunciation. Of
1: her. <laughs> I think that's right, yeah. And I actually did speak with her on the phone briefly, uh, soon after that first uh, first story came out. Uh, oh, was... after the story. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't part of your research. No, I had sent her, you know, letters, emails and things saying I was going to do this, but, you know, never heard back. They're... She's she's busy. She's got stuff to do. She's and, she's and is she still in Borneo? Yes, she is, most of the time. Uh, but not too long after that... F- that uh, previous book came out, I was... And
2: could you say, that is that Dignifying Science? Yes, that's okay. right. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So that was a book that focused exclusively on women scientists. And not too long after that book came out, I was in my office up at the um, Art, Architecture, and Engineering Library up in the Duderstadt Center. It was still called the Media Union at the time. Hooray. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reacting to T's, you know, fist pump about calling it the Media Union. But anyway, uh, I was in my office and got this call. And uh, you're you're at the university, so you know that if it's a double ring, it's coming from outside. It's like, okay, so outside call, who knows? Uh, and it was a very outside call. It was coming from, I believe, Borneo. And she had, you know, finally gotten a copy of the book. And she's very soft-spoken. And said, is this Jim? And I said, yes, this is. And it's like, this is uh, Dr. Berti Golikos. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know... My shoulders immediately tensed and then relaxed, and I slumped in a chair, and it's like, well, it's a pleasure to hear from you and she and you know long and short of it she she liked the story yes, and uh so things turned out well she had you know she had some issues with some things, and uh, we talked about those and I did make some changes to the footnotes in, in that book in a, in a in later in editions. a later edition uh, but I also ended up uh doing a individual comic for her for the orangutan foundation mm-hmm. a entirely separate story later and now of course with primates we're back to her story Mm -hmm. along with uh, Dr. Goodall's and uh, Diane Fosse's. And have you and have you heard from her again Jim or are you still wait okay? No I mean I was in contact with the the foundation again and if you if you look in the back of the of primates you see a photograph of the three of them the only actual photograph in the book and that was courtesy of Dr. Nancy Briggs who uh, was able to help us arrange to get permission to use that photograph.
2: Because they weren't always in the same room. They were rarely in the same room. um, Scientists and uh, explorers.
1: They were rarely within, you know, a few hundred miles of each other. So
2: right. Countries apart, Mm -hmm. seas apart. Um, well, Jim, before we go any further, let let's um I'll read your short bio in the back of Primates. Um, Jim Ottaviani has written nonfiction, science-oriented comics since nineteen ninety-seven, notably the number one New York Times bestseller Feynman. He has worked as a nuclear engineer, caddy, programmer, and reference librarian. He lives in Michigan and likes to go running in its forests and swamps. <laughs>
1: Is yeah, that that's true? mostly true. Is that true? Is it true? <laughs> yeah, all of all of that is true.
2: <laughs> I like that added last line there. And then, so you have a a, a co a collaborator. Always do, Maris Wicks, mm-hmm. because you're you're writing the prose, you're writing the that's stories, right. mm-hmm. the text. Um, and for this, for primates, um, Maris Wicks uh, was um the artist you worked with. That's right. Maris Wicks has used her opposable thumbs to draw comics for Adhouse Books, Tugboat Press, and Spongebob. Comics and has written stories for Image and DC Comics. She also works as a program educator at the New England Aquarium. Maris is an avid tool user and is particularly fond of bananas. That makes me laugh almost every time I read. It.
1: Maris is great, uh, and the, and the, I think that uh, bio, whether she wrote it herself or I wondered whether,
2: if you wrote it for her actually no, because no, you're no, so no. funny in in these books. Well, that's and nice of you to say.
1: But no, I didn't write I didn't write that for her at all. She, but, she's funny. She's hilarious.
2: And did, did did you actually write your Lives and Goes Running in the Forest? Or did someone write that for you? I wrote that. Okay.
1: Yeah. But I, I don't remember the exact sequence of writing I mean, writing, you know, a th- three-line self, you know, autobiographical statement is not something that worst. I'm good at. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's the worst and it's not something that I necessarily want to get good at either. Because that would not speak well of my ego, I don't
2: think. Well, let's talk about your writing life and the beginnings okay. of it, and, mm-hmm. and then, get, then we'll get to your ego, Jim. I'm
0: <laughs> just
2: teasing. Um, because you grew up south of San Francisco. You were, were you... Um,
1: yeah, not, I didn't spend too, much lo- too long there. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my folks lived there at the time I was born and I think, uh, three, four years, and then we moved to uh, slightly north of that in California. But most of my growing up happened outside of Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then that's why maybe that's where you why, why you went to the University of Illinois for your big undergrad. part of the reason. Okay. is is in state school, in state tuition. Uh, the other part was that uh, there weren't that many universities that had the major that I wanted to to pursue, which was nuclear engineering. Yes. and U of I certainly has one. Michigan does too. And and so
2: for and then you also then your school life. You you went on and. I love that you say um, on your website that you had two master's degrees that occasionally <laughs> are useful or so, something like, yeah. like that. Um, so you have a master's in nuclear engineering from the University of Michigan. That's right. And then another master's in, in library and information. Science, science right. From also from, from U of M. Michigan, so I call
1: myself well. a two-time loser from Wait, what? Michigan. <laughs> That's sort of. I, re- I read a lot of junky detective novels. A two-time loser is somebody who's been in jail twice.
2: Ah, ah. Or prison
1: twice, so I've I've been through the the graduate program mill at Michigan twice. Now.
2: So so how and okay and so how did that change your writing life? Because were you writing stories like as you were growing up in California um, outside of Chicago, and then and always writing
1: like as a kid, and or what? I'm doing the thing that doesn't work on radios. So right. I'm shaking my head no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, emphatically, no. I wasn't writing at all. Well, I, I wrote,
2: and so grad uh, school didn't squeeze out the love of writing from you. It no, <laughs> I mean,
1: first of all, not uh, that it gra- would. Not that it would. <laughs> Graduate school in engineering will not squeeze out the lo- squeeze the love of writing out of you because you don't have to write all that much. Uh, at least in the, in certainly in the storytelling sense, you don't. Uh, all professionals do end up writing more than they think they would. Uh, oftentimes but it's not the kind of writing that I do now uh, by any stretch of the imagination
2: so will you tell us your origin story oh with, my gosh. with starting to work um to collaborate because it was it it was like the origin of it was became two-fisted science that's right, right?
1: yeah that oh. was the first book that I did was called two-fisted science it's an one author anthology maybe is the best way to describe it it's a number of short stories I don't know if you got to got to see that one but it's going, okay but it's i'm eager short, to i mean it's a bunch of short stories about physicists mainly and so like, yeah n- like galileo niels bohr mm-hmm. yeah
2: all, a lot all, of men the, so i see why you yeah, went to the all, women
1: later too all, yeah. all, all the scientists that you have the bubblegum trading cards for okay. you know the the big names a lot of them anyway uh so yeah you wanted the origin of that and so you you know a little bit about this, otherwise you wouldn't were have you, asked. Well, were you but working it was here with Steve Lieber? Yeah. Right. So I was here in Ann Arbor already uh, by that time, and I haven't left since then. I'd been here for a few years uh, at, at that point. And a friend of mine named Steve Lieber, who's a professional comic book artist, he was then, he is now. Uh, we were... We had gotten together over dinner, basically, and I had loaned him a book named *The Making of the Atomic Bomb* by Richard Rhodes, which is a fantastic book. reads reads like a novel, but it's in fact a, you know, pure nonfiction about the, basically, the Manhattan Project. And Steve had read the book, and we were talking about this, uh, this and that from it. And he had he pointed out that there was a a scene in there, where Niels Bohr. Living in what was at that point occupied Copenhagen, occupied Denmark, was visited by one of his protégés, one of his former students named Werner Heisenberg. And Heisenberg comes and asks him for advice on what to do about basically working on atomic weapons. And Bohr's Bohr's mind is blown. It's like, look... Your country is occupying mine. And now you come and ask me for advice on what to do in terms of building a super weapon. So
2: you imagined what this conversation
1: might right. have looked like. Right. And I actually hadn't, though. Steve said that that story has tremendous dramatic potential. It would be great uh, as comics or whatever. And I thought for about 10 seconds, and said, yeah, you're right. That would be fantastic as comics. And then who knows what, what reason who knows for what reason, but uh I said, were you so, an
2: avid reader of oh yeah. graphic graphic novels, yeah. comics? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I was reading uh, comics all the time at that point. And I said, Well what if I wrote that? Would you would you draw it? And he felt completely safe in saying yes because he knew I'd never done anything like that before. <laughs> And so, a year or so later, I'm I'm sitting on his floor in his apartment, helping him finish the artwork for that particular story. And I'm not doing anything that requires skill. I'm erasing straight pencil marks and filling in black areas where, you know, he'd he'd already put the outline in and said, just fill that with solid black over there and and get it done. And so... And
2: were you like a self-study on on learning, like, because maybe we'll take a short break, but when we come back, mm -hmm. would you mind kind of talking about what makes like that magic of the graphic novel or storytelling Mm -hmm. with text and image as, as a close partnership? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe let's take the short break and then we'll be back. Today, Jim Ottaviani is here. We've got on the table his latest, Primates with First Second Books. Also, Feynman, the number one New York Times bestseller, Feynman, um, and his book, Fallout. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got living writers. We'll be right back. If you're just tuning in, glad you did, um, because Jim Otaviani and I have just been talking about how WCBN used to have a Duke show, a Duke yeah. Ellington show.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't remember what, what time slot it was in. This is quite a while ago. Maybe you don't remember this? No. Liz, you don't remember this? Jim, you no.
2: could bring... And uh, we should thank the Liz for engineering for us today. Um, behind the Glass the Liz Wasson. Thank the Liz. <laughs> but maybe you could bring
1: it back. You know, you could bring back the, the Duke show. I don't know that DJing is, I mean, as you've already found out, DJing is probably not one of my skills. At least not in, uh, a natural ability for it.
2: Is this a good time to talk about nuclear reactors?
1: Sure. is <laughs> <when> isn't? Okay.
2: Because <laughs> what I'm thinking is, if you were there at the helm of... It, Nuclear reactors, I think, mm-hmm. like we can certainly trust you with a shift here at at
1: CBN. I, I, it would be odd for me to cause a really bad disaster like you could at one of those. But even even those. So I was working. Uh, the The only o- reactors that I've operated have been test reactors at in universities. So things that you run experiments with, but not gigantic power generating. Mm, mechanisms, I don't know what to say
2: here. But that must have been pretty exciting, though, to see. Oh, it's interesting. Because that's, that's what your first, or is it? Was that your first love? Is that why you studied it as an undergrad?
1: And the... Yeah, love, I don't know. Yeah. Probably it was. Love is a strong word. Love is a strong word. Uh, but it was my first strong interest, and, in, you know, I don't recommend kids out there, don't decide you're going to be something at sophomore in high school and stick with it unless you really end up liking it. And I did actually end up liking it, but, I, but obviously I'm not doing it any longer. But I sort of decided I wanted to be a nuclear engineer some, sometime around sophomore year in high school mm. when I was reading this really cool National Geographic uh, article and had great illustrations by uh, a very well-known illustrator called Baron Story. And it was really fascinating stuff. And I thought, wow, I want to I do that. And so I ended. I did end up doing it. So you were persuaded by the text and images working together. <laughs> uh, this is why you're a professional?
2: Yeah. Actually, let's let's talk about that. This collaborative um, element with mm-hmm. what you're working on, because when you you sort of you you said that Steve Lieber didn't think that mm-hmm. you were actually going to come up with the text for this first. Right. story. Right. Um, but you did. And was mm-hmm. it, were you a quick study because of reading through graphic novels and, and also maybe having a love for reading about science, obviously the Manhattan Project?
1: Right. So um, I definitely had the background. The I Over the years, I had accumulated in my head uh, all sorts of interesting anecdotes about scientists. So, you know, I knew... Th- stuff that I would that I thought would make a great story about Richard Feynman or about you know Marie Curie or whoever but I never really thought of doing anything with it these were just interesting stories that you know you happen to be talking to a friend uh and you say oh man that reminds me of this thing that happened to this particular famous scientist and you would say it and that's it and how did you accumulate those stories Jim from reading, like reading or reading. just talking oh oh okay always from reading always from reading. okay yeah uh, so, uh, in part, it was because of you know the actual academic training and the professional life. Uh, you're encountering these names all the time: Heisenberg, Einstein, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and you wonder who the people were who could have come up with this insane notion. That, you know, electrons can tunnel through actual physical barriers or whatever. And so you want to find out a little bit more about them. And many of these people lived very interesting lives and did interesting things, uh, uh, both inside and outside of science. And they're they're influential. So, you know, all these things work together to make for, I think, an important and, and good. And these stories from their lives help inform, like, how their mind works. That's right. When exactly so. Yeah. So uh, where was I going with this? So I had all these stories kind of in mind. And once Steve you know, dropped the, dropped the crystal into the super saturated solution, uh, if, you, if you catch the metaphor, all of a sudden everything just went bink. And I had this solid plan to do this first book uh, with a bunch of short stories, some of them about Feynman, uh, one of them, of course, about Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg. And I did have a fairly good grounding in comics as in in terms of I'd read a lot of them, I knew what I liked, and I had some sense of how they worked. This was at a time when you could start getting samples of scripts from people if you just wrote them an email or talked to them. Mm -hmm. And of course I knew Steve, who was willing and able to... In the community. Right. Mm -hmm. To, To show me things that I needed to know correct me when I you know did a really foolish thing in a script here's an example of a foolish thing uh I will I'm I'm writing this down uh page one panel one Jim and Jim and T are in the WCBN studios uh T is wearing a green sweater Jim is wearing kind of a dark green and black and mottled colored sweater and T is now nodding so show T nodding and Steve would say just quick stick figure Draw, draw somebody nodding. Right. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that doesn't work very well. You'd need a lot of panels to have the head tip up and down. Yeah. And that's kind of a waste of space. So the sorts of things that would things- have to be one hell of a nod, like important nod, right? Yeah. 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 You really <laughs> to want use you- that real estate. Mm-hmm. So things like that were things that I either already knew, but more often, did not know and i had the benefit of working with a lot of great artists who would you know save me from myself say and say you know you don't want, you don't want to say shrugged you want to say tossed out his hand and, in in explanation or something like that a broader gesture something that actually translates visually uh, right away and doesn't require motion and to so it.
2: so would you then jim when you're putting the this, the text together. Do you mm-hmm. have text that will be what you, what, what you? The text in the panel itself, and then also almost the dialogue. Um, the, the dialogue. For example, mm-hmm. but then sort of like, do you have stage direction for yeah, panels? all of that for each of the. So the artists, like you could say, this is what I'm imagining is in. Oh yeah.
1: This. Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: so it's not that you're handing over text of the story, and they're imagining each of these. Right. There
1: are a lot of ways to do this. And depending on the type of story you're doing and who you're working with, sometimes a whole whole story as handed over by uh, a writer could be as short as a paragraph or two.
2: And sometimes th- I think that might be children's story, like children's books, maybe why I was thinking of that model in some mm-hmm. way, where maybe. sometimes the people never meet.
1: And right. someone's illustrating. Yeah, but and it, and it strikes pe- people from coming from comics, that strikes them as bizarre.
2: Because it's not, it's a different type of collaboration. That's right. It is more of an illustrating
1: mm-hmm. rather than a yeah. complete collaboration. Oh, I think that's right. Yeah, I think you've got it exactly right. And like I said, uh, the comics folks hear about, you know, these authors and illustrators never never having met or talked uh in the children's book world and it's like wow it's amazing that so many good children's books are made uh because that seems like a crazy way to work it's certainly not the way i've ever worked with a comic star so anyway uh to get back to the the basic question is yes my scripts start with page one panel one t and jim and cbn studio what they're wearing what they look like uh Maybe if it's important to know, and if I think the artist can can use it, T's mood is upbeat, and Jim's mood is apprehensive because <laughs> T is doing doing her first radio interview of the year, and Jim is not so great at radio. So you know, all of the all now of you've those told are, everyone the complete backstory, Jim. <laughs> well, so behind the scenes, behind that's for that's for what a comic strip is. It, huh. excuse me, a comic script is going to Scripts. look like. It has to give the artist everything he or she will need and that, in fact, ideally, from my point of view, more than he or she will need and then the artist will pick the important moments okay. Pick the important gesture. Uh, maybe, and oftentimes this will happen, throw, out, throw everything out that I wrote, leaving the dialogue typically, but throw everything out and show something different that gets that mood gets that feeling gets that um, setting or setting or action across even better than what I imagine. And then you take a look at that and then there's a back and forth there. Yeah. Although you know, I do take a look at it, but what I try not to do is actually look at my own script once the art is done because it's already been drawn now. And if, Maris decides, you know, it would be better if T were wearing a blue sweater, because a few few panels later, we're going to do this other thing with color, and blue looks better with that. I'll never know. A, if I don't look at my script, and B, if it works on the yes. page as drawn, it's done. Uh, because drawing a single panel is harder than writing a single panel, uh, no matter no matter how you slice it. And so... You don't want to make changes to the art unless they're absolutely necessary. So, so you're not look
2: when you're looking at then the what the, the the artist has then produced.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, My first pass is to not is to try to, to forget not, what right? I wrote.
2: No, that makes total sense. Yeah. But you're looking at it as because it's, it's coming into itself now. That's right. But now it's a can, real thing. But then you can still make changes. Then
1: sure, right? Yeah. And if you have to, you have to. And it's and it's a bummer if something has to be redrawn, but more often than not something can be rewritten in the dialogue or in the uh. captioning to make things fit. You know, there will be occasions where I'm going to make this up. This has never happened. But I specified that T should be in the room. And the artist says, I am really tired of drawing tea. I'm going to draw <laughs> the Liz. Uh, and I'll come back and say, you know, it's got to be tea. Because she was there and Liz mm-hmm. was in the other room. So... Okay, so there are some times, where, and then
2: usually, then the artist that you're working with would be like, oh, "Okay, I see your point."
1: Yeah, and so and then you never speak to each other again. That's no. right, <laughs> mortal enemies. I, I haven't spoken with any of the artists I've worked with for years now. That's why there's so many of that's them. That's right. No. Yeah, it's only it only ever works once. Then we hate no. each other forever.
2: No, um, and so is it different now with primates and with uh, uh, Feynman? Because uh, this. 'cause first second press mm-hmm. it, it that's is that um under Macmillan that's like right the They're larger umbrella um mm-hmm. so how is that different jim Then because g t labs is your like that's right is your creation and mm-hmm. and so you've been um publishing this and you have total control in some ways right <laughs> yeah <laughs> um. Mm-hmm and and an artistic vision and and That's and right. that mm-hmm. so have you noticed a change in how things are happening between for example Fallout um that we have on the table and Primates and Feynman that were with first second
1: well they're much better at
2: marketing than i am than i am so there's that uh
1: oh, I, we, don't...
2: I will say thanks to to Gina um at this point Gina mm-hmm. Gagliano That's right <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah so the, they're they're tremendous at marketing they have excellent book designers, and I, I speak like First Second is this giant unit or division within Macmillan. It's actually only four people. First Second. Yeah, First yes. Second is only four people. So we've got Mark Siegel, who's the editor-in-chief or managing editor, I'm not sure. Callista Brill, who is the direct editor, who's my day-to-day interactions are with her. There's Gina, who's the marketing person, and there's Colleen, who does the book design in the covers. and you're You're looking at the covers, Colleen is fantastic. You've talked to Gina. she's fantastic. I will tell you that my books are better because Callista's a good editor. Um, I have grown to appreciate the uh, qualities and what it, of an, of a good editor and what they can bring to the table so much so that for a recent book um, that for various various reasons didn't get a lot of editing in its first pass uh myself and the artist hired an outside editor because we we're you know it's like i'm not sure it's quite right for gt but I'm not, labs yeah GT- well it's it's not it may not be a gt labs book but right now uh it's you know oh. some of the rights are owned or publishing rights are with someone but the print rights could be could go to GT Labs.
2: Let's take a short break yeah. and we'll come back. Um, today on the program, Jim Otiviani is here. Um, you've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We've got the Liz um, Engineering for us on the table Primates, Feynman, and Fallout. We'll be right back. Oh, wait,
1: wait. Owing to technical difficulties, the planned interview with Celeste Ng this evening uh, cannot be aired. In its place, you're hearing an interview recorded in January with Jim Ottaviani.
2: Welcome back. You've got living writers. I'm T Hetzel today. Jim Ottaviani is here. Um, we've been talking about his his graphic novels, Primates, um, Feynman, and Fallout. Um, and most recent, so Primates is most their, your most recent book. That's right. And... Um, it's so interesting because it's it, it got lots of press because you were mentioning in the last segment that the marketing you noticed was <laughs> different, like with right. being sort of related mm-hmm. first, second with Macmillan, and um, and I saw that like you know there were reviews everywhere, New York mm-hmm. Times for example, yeah, um, very nice review there, and, which is great. And but what I thought was interesting with primates is that it was um. I think it was under children's books mm-hmm. and I was shocked because when I was reading these, I didn't, it didn't strike me that way at all. So I was just well, that's sort of great. thought, Oh, that's an interesting category that they've,
1: um, put- that is actually the target audience though. Oh, uh, it is. That, that was, <laughs> I who- thought this was hard. No, Right. <laughs> well, so I, I, I I've it, said it this about seem a couple, like it's
2: tar- it doesn't seem like it's, it's speaking down to, to uh, yeah, good. Uh, I'm glad you think does.
1: that. Um, there have been a couple books that have been contracted specifically for, you know, the 10 to 12 to age 14 set, uh, primates is the most recent one and T minus a previous book that I did about the space race. And for both the artists and I sort of agreed off to the side. And it turns out that the publishers were fine with this uh, because they, they backed they backed the storytelling choices that we made in the course of doing this, but we agreed that okay, it's going to be for a twelve-year-old, but it's going to be for a twelve-year-old who brings her a-game to the book. It's not for a twelve-year, a lazy twelve-year-old. And by doing that, a, we hope to make it more enjoyable for more readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Especially the, especially those in the target audience. Mm. I think kids like a little, little bit of a challenge. Everybody does, and if you can bring it a little bit further out, uh, further up on the reading reading levels charts. I guess there are actually official charts in terms of vocabulary and complexity and things like that. Mm. Then you're more likely to attract an adult reader as well. And we think these both those stories can and should be of interest to adults as well as kids
2: it's interesting how then looking at
1: um, in drawing the
2: characters mm-hmm. how it does different differ from finding oh, yeah. and very much so from fallout the right. different artists that were represented in each of those stories yeah
1: and, and so the style the style of art has a lot to do with the target audience okay. i think uh, and so Maris's style was exactly spot on. I mean, it, spot on and so as we're going through these this what turned out to be a fairly lengthy audition process we're seeing lots and lots of artists samples for the book uh, all of which you know had things things going for them uh, but Maris hit the sweet spot in in every aspect that we were looking for so it was very uh when, when her Hers were the last samples to look at because that was where everybody said, Yep, this is definitely where we want to be. It's something charming about it. Oh, she's it's charming as Yeah.
2: A, Whereas I wouldn't say that about the others because that wasn't mm-hmm. their intention. But no, there is there is something
1: Yeah, um, there's a there's a very different uh, aesthetic to the Feynman book than there is to the Primates book, than there is to Fallout, et cetera, et cetera. It's what the It's what hopefully what the story demands. And the attention to audience. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Could, so can we talk for a moment, Jim, about, because uh, I, I loved where you said Jane Goodall was someone who you had always cataloged as famous people we know about. But then when you started thinking about her a little more deeply, you realized, wait, what do I really know about her?
1: Right. All I knew was <laughs> Jane Goodall. Chimps. <laughs> Basically,
2: (laughs) right. And sometimes I don't know if this this probably didn't happen for you. But I think for me, there was some blurring with Diane Fossey somehow like their
1: stories may have
2: become intertwined. And sure, I think that's
1: not Unnatural to have happened. <laughs> well, thank you. It, it hadn't ha- it hadn't happened to me because I, pro- I probably read more about science than you do on, on a day to day basis. Yeah. So so that I knew they were separate people already. Right. I, I've, right. I've never said Diane Goodall or Jane Fossey. So it's, it, that's okay.
2: But how do you start? Because I notice in the stories then for primates, you it's you just drop us right in to this the the reader okay. right into the moment mm-hmm. where we have a very young. Jane, there's no preamble. There's no. So th- okay. tell us, how does this become the imagined moment that's the beginning of the the arc of this this whole story?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked that question, especially in the context of talking just before the break about um, for a second in editors. I I didn't remember this until just a month or so ago when I had occasion to look at the first draft of the primate script. And it is so different from this in terms of the beginning. Could it's night and day? Not at all what you see on the first few pages. What was the original? Start? I don't even want to say. Okay. Because it's, it's, <laughs> <'cause> it's inferior. <laughs> um, I th- I think Callista read that and said, "Ah, was it Callista?" Even it might have been Tanya. There was a freelance editor who worked on the first draft of the book with me. Freelance hired by Macmillan, hired by First Second, but nonetheless someone who wasn't day-to-day in the office. So there's a lot of people's—this is a larger collaboration than I was aware of. I think that's right, yeah. Um, and it's just so different from the way I initially envisioned I, I had a very comic book wink-wink nod-nod to classic you know, superhero type stories. The idea was, all these women are superheroes. Right. So I'm going to start it in the superhero mode. And I don't think it's wrong. That would be a different book. I don't think it would have been book. bad. Great, right. But I, I'll stick with the word that I used just a moment ago. I think it was inferior to what we ended up with, thanks to, you know, Tanya and Callista saying, no, don't start. That that's That's too... That assumes knowledge of old comics that not everybody's going to have, and not everybody needs. And why don't we start someplace else with this story? And eventually, I can't—I didn't look at the subsequent drafts. I don't remember how many times, how many iterations it took to get to this. Uh, but eventually, we got to what you see. But they uh, would say, "Well, what do you think?"
2: And then you would come think about it and come back with another place to start. Then,
1: yeah, I, I don't remember whether they made. Direct suggestions, you know, edit, editors always right. really polite. This is awesome, this is so great. Let's change it a little <laughs> bit. Um, Smooth talkers,
2: yeah. But, but this really works so well because you're you've got this challenge. You have these. Three separate stories that are linked mm-hmm. by lewis leakey that's right right the man that has mm-hmm. sort of saw had had a vision of, of women being better scientists or right. o- mm-hmm. observational capacities and mm-hmm. the in nature um and so he's he's a hinge within this book but mm-hmm. they they're also spread out over time so yes. starting with a young jane goodall who is is the oldest? She right? is, and yeah. and then sort of, or or is oh, Di- maybe Diane is no. older actually. Well, let's yeah. look at the picture. No, just kidding.
1: <laughs> Diane might have been Diane Fossey might have been a little older than Jane Goodall, not not substantially. But I don't think not it, decades. Right.
2: Okay. But it's interesting how you end on Baruti uh, Galdicus, mm-hmm. because um, because she's sort of still more in the work that's right in the current moment and mm-hmm. so there's this it seems like a natural arc of this narrative
1: there i i, I agree i is, think is that's that, that we, we, yeah that's the way to to give an arc to the story and to give a progression uh it's it uh it's hard to separate the three now and think about them differently in that way um Gosh, I don't, I don't know if I can even retrieve the thought process anymore well, bec-
2: because now their stories are interwoven.
1: For so, me, yeah. yeah, I'll I'll need to read a few more biographies <laughs> of each of them to 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 get my to get my own preconceived notions flushed out.
2: But no, for me too. I that's why I think this is such um a wonderful book because for me too, that's my experience of these women now. You have you have connected them, even though mm-hmm. Louis Leakey did first. Okay, mm-hmm. okay credit we're credited. Well, to and, do, to, and to but, the
1: extent that they they are connected because uh, their work is building. Yeah, uh, but but they are they are individuals. They you know completely separate lives, but they they all sort of converged, at least on one thing, which was conservation and preservation of habitat and conservation and uh, stopping stopping the practices that endanger these species. So that was I I hope the the tie the tie that bound. Is that the way you say that phrase, ties that bind, the tie that bound? I don't know. And, and their passion. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. And the, the, the determination you
2: really show in here right. for each of them.
1: Yeah, the, the, the dedication to the work, uh, to it, both science, the science and the conservation work is uh, remarkable for all three of them. It's a it's, calling. It's, I don't know. I don't know if it is, but they, they've certainly made a conscious decision to devote their lives to this very important thing uh, I can't speak for them I don't know if they feel called to right, do that right. uh, but anymore Let's they are calling you. us <laughs> to, to to think about things in a different way so there, there's a calling there
2: yes what is what what has been like one of the the most fun st- of these stories to be in was it because it seems like you had a lot of Fun with Feynman. Oh, that sure. True. Oh, <laughs>
1: because the story. Yeah. I mean, you're you're a writer, so you you know, it's not necessarily fun in in the process of doing <laughs> it. Uh, the yeah, that that great writer's line. I like having written uh, the writing itself is not. Is that Dorothy like that.
2: Parker? Maybe, or I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was Mark Twain. Oscar he said, Wilde. I mean, Oscar I mean, it could Wilde. have been
1: anybody. <laughs> it could have been anybody. Uh, but. So yeah, I'm 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 struggling with a book right now. And uh the last couple of days have actually been pretty good and I'm I'm actually enjoying the things that are coming up. Is this the Stephen Hawking book? It is the Stephen Hawking book. Uh So so that's great, but for the most part, man, this this one's fighting me for whatever reason. But anyway, you asked, you know, more f- I can't I can't uh tell you which was more fun. Uh they they were fun in different ways. That's that makes so cheesy. It, no, it doesn't.
2: That makes t- What was cheesy was I said, which was the most fun? I brought that into it, Jim. Right. You were fine. Let's take a short break and we'll come back today on the program. Jim Ottaviani is here. Um, his books, Primates, Feynman, and Fallout are on the table before us. And there's many more to check out. Um, go to gt-labs.com um, to see more. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back.
0: One, two, three. I want a one, two three, kick I'm gonna go out dancing every night I'm gonna see all love City lights, I'm do everything silver and gold. I got to hurry up before I grow too old. I'm gonna take a trip around the world. I'm gonna kiss all the pretty girls. I'm do everything silver and gold and I got to hurry up before I grow too old. I know is wrong I hope i'm forgiven before i'm gone We will take a lot of press to save my soul and i got to hurry up before i grow too old i'm gonna take a trip around
2: the world welcome back you've got living writers i'm t hetzel today jim otaviani is here um We've been talking about primates um, and, and also, and a little bit about Feynman. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, your writing process. Because you okay. said you're, and I don't want to jinx it. So if you feel any of that sort of coming on, then we'll just, we'll just <laughs> put the kibosh on talking about it. But, but you mentioned that you- I've got, were, I've got some cloves of garlic. Donald,
1: oh, you know, do? <laughs> we can wave in front of the microphone to stop, stop from the hexing's head happen
2: yeah we're taking precautions folks so don't worry um but but what how what is your process like because we mentioned that you you are working at the university of michigan library Mm -hmm. you've got an you know some a day job so you've got your is your are your like nights are you working is it how i work
1: nights and, and weekends and uh I, I'm taking when Kirk's a first daughter this, Emma was this born, this term he didn't and know I did she dreamed of a destination wedding, to, to try to meet this or that she'd spend for the for the Hawking the semester in Barcelona so, that she'd call. Yeah, I've got but nights and weekends.
2: Why the There's Hawking? Insurance like, how come. did this? Oh, what was, uh, How did this start for you,
1: Jim? This has another univer- This has a direct University of Michigan connection, I would say. Go blue. Go blue. I tutor at eighty-six Michigan. Yay. A fellow tutor, a co-tutor, there is a woman named Lois Kane. Her husband's name is Gordy Kane. He is a well-known physicist, and they're friends with uh, some folks in Cambridge, including uh, the Stephen Hawking. And a few, gosh, a year and a half or so ago, I can't remember exactly when, but Lois, uh, we were we were waiting for students to show up at uh, eighty-six, and she says, "You know." You, you've got to come to Stephen Hawking's birthday party this 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 next January. Uh, he's going to be seventy, and, and you should go. <laughs> I would love to go to Stephen Hawking's birthday party, but I think I actually need to be invited by somebody—not you, who's but, not you—by Stephen. Yeah, maybe <laughs> And you know, for and I think she was just she was just goofing around. Although, she, you know, it's hard to tell with Lois because she's 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 a my wife cat calls her a force of nature and if she would she She could make it happen she could could probably (laughs) make it happen anyway that sort of brought to mind the idea well i i don't actually know who who i'm going to write about next and wow hawk i never really thought of writing about stephen hawking and he's alive he is and and he's actually celebrating his 72nd birthday (gasps) today so happy birthday Stephen! happy birthday stephen hawking so so there's that and a um, tiger roar. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyway, this conversation continues on with Lois, uh, and I end up meeting some friends, uh, some mutual friends from Cambridge who are very kind, very very encouraging. And eventually, uh, a copy of Feynman finds its way over to Cambridge. I think it, there probably had been some already. And so this is, this is the part I love about this story. So I'm sorry if it's going on longer no, than you no, wanted. No. But on July 4th, 2012, I got an email from Lois saying, it's a big day. And I think the subject line was big day. And because you're all totally into the physics thing, you know that it was a big day because that was the day that Higgs boson was formally announced as we got it. So yes, it's a big day for physics. It's also a big day because I happen to know that that meant that Gordy had just won a hundred dollar bet with Stephen Hawking that there was in fact a Higgs boson out there to be found. So, so I've, I've now seen, seen the bet paper and I don't think Gordy's cashed the check. I think he framed the check instead, which is very cool. Um, and then kind of as an, Oh, by the way, at the end of this email from Lois, she said, and Oh, by the way, uh, Stephen saw the Feynman book and he liked it. And if you would like to come over and talk sometime about doing a book, uh, we can start trying to figure that out. And it's like, dang, that is a big day.
2: That is a big. That's a whopper. Steve,
1: Stephen Hawking read one of my books and yeah. he liked it, so yeah. that was good. And so since then we've started. You know, that's when it got serious.
2: But so is he the first person that you've corresponded with? Who is going to be your subject of the, of the book?
1: So in the end, we haven't had actually had a chance to meet up. We we did go over to Cambridge, myself and Leland. Uh, who's the artist for Feynman and who who will be the artist for Hawking as well. Mm. Uh, But he wasn't feeling well at the time. So, you know, it didn't it didn't work out. But we got to talk to a lot of folks anyway, got to take a lot of reference photos. It was very valuable, quite quite a bit of fun. And uh, Malcolm and Anya, who are the folks over there, uh, the mutual friends, were very kind to us and helped us, you know, open many, many doors. But do you think that makes – does it change the project that yes. the person is alive? And, yes. Because and, and he's you're looking in over my shoulder because with, every second of the yeah. day. So that's kind of – yeah, it's it's kind of worrisome and weird feeling.
2: Because with primates, you didn't really have have a, that sense of yeah, that's right, a, a direct observation
1: or... that's right. So it it is different, and I don't know how it's changing the way I look at the book and how I'm writing it, but I definitely feel the presence of the you know the actual person there. And I hope that's good. And I hope that makes me more sensitive to, you know, getting, getting the feel of things right. I, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. And,
2: well, I think, but what's wonderful is that you've done these books, like you have this experience and you can trust that. And to know <laughs> that where you're, where you're coming from with it is a place of, of, of such a genuine I hope place. Yeah. so. That's yeah. I think something. And that and that he trusts you as
1: well. I hope he trusts me. <laughs> I hope he trusts us. But like I said, we we haven't corresponded directly. Um you know, he's a I was saying this about uh, Dr. Goodall and uh, Dr. Galdekas. very busy people. So is so is Hawking. And Hawking has the additional challenge of course the communication is extremely difficult for him. Uh no, it hasn't been easy for decades and it's just not getting any easier. So the combination of those things makes it uh, difficult but the folks around him uh I, I should c- call out his personal assistant Judith Crosdell uh, in particular very helpful very kind so it's been great
2: And are you imagining um, cuz as we're like cuz f- folks will be able to um get copies of the books but this the Feynman is hefty it's it's a large book um, Sim- similar so similar a yeah, sort of the and, the,
1: con- the contract says uh, roughly the same page count as fineman it, it it actually says an actual number but i'm not going to say the number yeah, yeah okay loud okay because no 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 that,
2: that seems yeah that doesn't but that's,
1: it's going to be rough it's going to be similar to fineman and the way things are looking right now and the way thing the way the script is progressing i think it'll be very close to the same length
2: Well, that sounds, that sounds exciting. Yeah, that, no, that sounds really exciting. And I, okay. So now before with the moments that we have left here, Jim, I wanted to talk about some of the things that have, like we've been talking about these stories that make up these these physicists' life that and mm-hmm. how and so you've you're a man with many stories of your own. When I was looking at Labs dot com, mm-hmm. um, the website, um, like so many things, not just I mean we've mentioned nuclear engineering um, and but in professional caddy like on a well I'm, you
1: know that that's that's spin. I I caddied for one professional event. But, but it was so cool. Was it
2: Jack Nicholas?
1: It was not Jack Nicholas, but I used the Porter John right after Jack Nicholas.
2: <gasps> I could sense some proximity. Haven't That's washed okay. my hands since. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, there's that that whatever
1: the appointment no, or whatever. Yeah, not That's not a, in 1982. There wasn't. There was no Purell. <laughs> there was no
2: well anyway so we've got we've got that that connection um that's really
1: cl- gross sorry you, no, sorry no, people no, sorry a- FCC no,
2: no. <laughs> we and you climbed you climbed Mount Fuji you, you a lot of people do that we're speed skating and like placid like so Fewer that people do that you're playing frisbee on the great wall of China yep so these are all things that like that's I've been really lucky I think Feynman would would be like that's the way that's the way to do it, Jim.
1: You know, like I You know, the- I've never thought of it that way, but I, I you know, Feynman lived a, a much more uh adventurous life than I think I do. Uh or even necessarily did. Uh but I'm I'm no Feynman. He was he was a genius and uh I think he earned every every cool, great, unusual experience that that he uh that he had. But yeah, I I have Probably fewer regrets than I should. Uh, I've had I've had a I've I've had some great experiences. It's been fun. I've gotten to do a lot of things. And you've seen a quetzal. Yes. Do you know what a quetzal is? It's a gorgeous, gorgeous bird down in Costa Rica. And we were ah so. Are they shy? Are they, they shy They are. Birds? They're They're difficult to spot. And we felt my wife and I saw two, like one after the other. And the reason that you know I'm. Wincing and making these expressions that don't translate well into radio is because, just as we were entering this cloud for us, there were a couple people leaving, and you know we'd we'd heard that this is a place and a time where you might see some quetzals, and the, and these two serious birders, you know, they had the gear, they had the <laughs> notebooks, they came out. Oh no, we didn't see anything, and we got like twenty feet in, and we saw one. And of course what you can't do is run and yell and say, Hey, serious bird people, come and see this thing that is oh flying away because I'm making too much noise to attract you to come see So there's there's a there's a little bit of guilt. But what a involved gift that seeing. you saw <laughs> right.
2: you saw too with so you and Kat, like you you saw two yeah. quetzals. And well I did. I actually um So you know. I well I looked it up. I was like, What is a Because that sounded so brilliant and they are and, and, they're beautiful and and my family has become a bit nutty about well no i shouldn't say nutty but they love <laughs> birds
1: so um, yeah for the most part i'm not a big bird guy i, I think they would have been so better off if they just stuck as being dinosaurs
2: <laughs> would, so that's just, not gonna you're, there's not gonna be a quetzal book on the horizon no and the, i did a dinosaur
1: the, book so you know yes. where my my affections lie yeah
2: and the gtlabs uh dot com you mm-hmm. the publishing uh uh Company, Jim. You you named that because of the Peter Parker it's like a nod to the yeah, the that's... lab where he got bitten by the radioactive spider. Yes, is you that... did
1: you did good research. I, I'm I'm sure you're regretting the loss of brain cells to all these useless facts that you now have in your head about comic books. But this is no, this is I feel like it's about time too, you know? <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> then I retract my, my regret and my apology.
2: And 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 so what after, like, can you see, um, like with your writing, is it something that you feel like is now you're always going to be making like a way, this is a way of seeing the world, creating these graphic novels and, and, and telling stories that are nonfiction stories, mm-hmm. but it, with a storytelling quality that makes them alive and becomes sort of the history. Yeah. Well, that, I, I, certainly, mean, that's what I certainly
1: hope so. I certainly hope that I can, I get to keep doing this for a long, long time because even even though you know by by midnight tonight I will be whinging again and saying oh this is so hard I only got two pages written and I can't figure out how to visualize the area increase theorem for black holes correctly on you know wow now I feel your pain that's 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 what I that's what I <laughs> that's, that's what I need to be doing this week is is getting past, getting into and through that major breakthrough that he made in, in around 1970. So it sounds like you're going to be having
2: a breakthrough of your own, then knock on wood. (laughs) Got to find a lot of, (laughs) a lot of wood to knock on. Thank you, Jim, for being on the program. Oh, you're welcome. Thank (laughs) you for having me. This is really cool. (laughs) Well, come back. Okay. And Jim Otto his books, primates, the fearless science of Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, and Baruti Galdicus. Um, also Feynman, um, and fallout and many, many more. Uh, go go to Jim's website, gt-labs.com. Just find out more. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the Liz for engineering. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
0: Blackbirds singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly you are only waiting for this moment to be.
1: Here. This is
0: WCBN fm Ann Arbor and I'm Ed Sanders, happy to be here in Party Town, USA.
2: Hey there, listener. This is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and it is 6 o'clock on a Wednesday. That means it's time for the Drive Time Polka Party. My name is Detective Dan, and I'll be with you for the next hour. Start off with some Flaco Jimenez. This one's called en El Cielo
0: No Hay Cerveza. I know manches. que beber por eso ando tomando noche y día porque ya cuando se me llegue el día en el mundo se la ferrusquía